today on Ag News Daily. First and foremost, we want to say thank you to all of our firefighters, first responders, EMTs, local farmers, everyone that showed up, the National Guard, for helping us. Our fire could have been a lot worse than what it was. Well, welcome listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you by Grasshopper Mowers. With Grasshopper Mowers, nothing gets in the way of hashtag Mow Day. This is Tanner Winterhoff alongside Cassidy Zirkle this morning. Welcome, Cassidy. Thank you, Tanner. I'm glad to be making another guest appearance on the podcast this morning to help host while Delaney travels. We're going to have to stop calling you a guest and just make you the (laughs) co-host. Sounds like it. We're a team of three now, officially. Absolutely. So I feel like I woke up to Texas weather. Maybe I've got too much humidity, but uh, we are already 72 degrees this morning and extremely humid here in central Iowa. Oh, I think you're a little optimistic about Texas weather. It's already 83 here. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, I uh, I may need to adjust my perspective. That is for sure. Well, i tell you what we didn't have last night was glowing colors in our sky. An article that came out saying Eastern Chinese locals were panicking because the sky over China was blood red. And there's a video out there um, coming from camera dot ne so camera with a k uh, showing this sky turning blood red it ended up just being a bunch of soybeans arriving at port ironically as shipments showed up but the pollution over the city caused their beacon lights to turn the sky red so quite an interesting deal i figured the article was going to go a lot deeper than that but nonetheless uh, i'm glad i don't live in china and i'm also glad that there's soybeans arriving at port Yes, for sure. I think I would have definitely been panicking as well as if my sky turned red last night. <laughs> Biden is set to visit an Illinois farm to highlight the Russian-driven spike in food prices. It says that Joe Biden will be speaking to highlight how the war in Russia-Ukraine is hiking global food prices during his visit to a family farm in Illinois on Wednesday, which is today. Hey, there you go. I uh, I have mixed emotions, as our listeners already know, about the president traveling to make announcements as such. It seems more pomp and circumstance than uh, actual effective news. But uh, nonetheless, I'm glad that he's involved in agriculture because we can use all the publicity and connections that we can get. Uh, Secretary Bilsack testified before the Senate Ag Appropriations Subcommittee for the USDA's fiscal year 2023 spending plans. The secretary was quizzed a lot by senators about an array of issues, including disaster aid, boosting crop production, and international food aid, because those are the three dominant topics. So from the $10 billion budget provided by Congress last fall to deal with weather disasters from 2020 and 2021, so we're not even including the weather that we're having this spring and uh, the wildfires that have happened, <clears throat> he stated that the USDA is working to pre-fill in applications under the Wildfire and Hurricane Indemnity Plus program that farmers have typically filled out in the years past. So that's known as WIP Plus. So it's nice to know that instead of farmers having to fill out the 250 question questionnaire, a lot of that will be pre-filled based upon information that's already in the system. I know we've got the technology, Cassidy, so 
it's great that we're putting the technology to use in the government sector. So that critical money will hit, they said, in uh, fiscal year 2023. So there's still some time between now and then to uh, wait for those disaster payments to show up. But again, that was only based upon 160,000 acres of wildfire, but most of the rest of the issues caused were drought related. Congress also talked about a $40 billion aid package that President Biden has called Congress to work on that has $500 million expected to go to the farmers right off the start. Of course, that has not yet been passed. And then the involvement with Ukraine, talking about how the U.S. government, the entity USDA, plans to help with world food aid by potentially boosting production. He again stands firm that they will not release CRP acres for cropping in 2022. And on the topic of wildfires and aid, I was actually about to report on another uh, article about USDA loans and aid because contrary to what you said, or kind of scary compared to what you said, saying that it was only accounting for 160,000 acres of wildfire the Texas wildfires this year alone have equaled over 433,000 acres. Wow. So the Texas Wildfire Agriculture Association has totaled those losses to be up to 23.1 million. That's that's including livestock lost, fencing, grazing values, repairs to buildings and things like that. And the USDA has announced that farmers can apply for loans to help them through that, but it sounds like there may not be a grant passed yet to help them get that money. I would I would agree. It doesn't sound like the funding's been established yet, which is probably going to be driven by the number of applicants, the way uh, it looks like this budget works. As stated, that article was reporting back for 2020 and 2021. So I would assume this would be the right time to encourage listeners, if you're in that disaster area, to make sure you fill out an application so the government knows what type of demand there is, and they can, in fact, hopefully put a bill together for you. But uh, for the moment, let's pause for a message from Grasshopper Mowers. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mow Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that Grasshopper Mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mow Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Thank you, Grasshopper, for your proud support of the Ag News Daily Podcast. Let's jump overseas, Cassidy. Natural gas prices continue to jump in Europe after Ukraine blocks Russian flows. So uh, the gas TSO of Ukraine, or GTSOU, on Tuesday announced force majeure uh, due to unforeseeable circumstances that it is now going to prevent the fulfillment of their contracts. The first declaration of its client since the Russian invasion, it will not accept through its Sokrovinka, you know, we'll just go Sokrovinka entry point, which delivers Russian gas to most of Europe on Wednesday. And the European natural gas prices were up more than six and a quarter percent by 9.15 that morning. London time, as the data pointed, but European natural gas prices are going to continue to rise 
because of Ukrainian state-owned grid operator has suspending the Russian flows through that key entry point. So a little bit of overseas knowledge there, probably not going to happen to affect a lot of us here in the U.S., but it will be interesting to watch what happens to natural gas prices before we get to fall when some of our farmers are going to need that to dry their corn. That is interesting, Tanner. As some of our Market Monday guests have mentioned, the natural gas prices in Europe have been affecting our markets, so that will be interesting to watch and see how it affects us. But coming back domestically, I found an article from rowcoal.com that says, The Senate is looking to place a ban on all meat farming in the U.S. This would ban the possession, purchase, receipt, sale, or transport of farm-raised mink in domestic and international markets. So this is a pretty big fight in the Senate. It sounded like from the article, they're still trying to go back and forth on whether they should ban it or not. If it did get banned and passed, this would take effect December 31st, and the bill includes no mention of compensation for mink farmers. You know, I don't know how big of an industry mink farming is, but to get a government policy in place to completely ban it, could that be a domino, the first domino to fall for completely banning a different type of agriculture if it sets a precedent? Exactly, because a lot of um, what Senator Cory Booker, who is really on the side of banning it, was saying was that it's inhumane. And he was talking about how activists are very against this. So it's scary to see if we're going to start banning parts of agriculture because of activists thinking it's inhumane. What could go next? Absolutely. Well, the last piece of news that I have today is around uh, the Department of Justice as the Bayer petition to appeal the Monsanto Company versus Edwin Hardin court case. They are urging, the Department of Justice is urging rejection of their petition. So the U.S. Solicitor, Solicitor General tells SCOTUS to reject Bayer's ag petition on the Roundup case. So the Department of Justice filed, filed their opinion based upon the results. In August 2021, Bayer Ag asked the Supreme Court to review the landmark Roundup case, arguing in their petition that the Federal Appeals Court committed errors in the case brought by non-Hodgkin's lymphoma cancer victim, Edwin Hardin. So Bayer said in its petition that the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco committed two errors worthy of review. And the company said the state law failure to warn claims the center of the case were preempted by federal law and admission of expert testimony. The second piece of that was uh, that the Court of Appeals incorrectly held the Federal Insecticide, Fungicide, and Rodenticide Act does not preempt response to those claims. So quite interesting that the uh, appeal, the petition for appeal filed in August of 2021, has now been suggested for rejection by the Department of Justice. So this hearing is still ongoing, had kind of gone quiet there for a little while, but uh, wanted to remind everybody that in 2019, the jury awarded Hardiman $80 million in damages after his ruling that the lymphoma was caused by the use of Roundup. So later, the damages were reduced to $25 million. However, Bayer has faced thousands of similar lawsuits connected to that initial hearing. So clearly, Cassidy, if uh, there was to have this petition be heard, it could change the course 
of a lot of legal cases. But before you jump into your last news for the day, let's pause one more time for a message from Grasshopper Bowers. It doesn't matter whether you're on the backfield or the front yard. On Mo Day, perfection is a game of inches. It's a battle of fence line and fierce terrain. Out there, on that grasshopper mower, you don't let anything stop your stripes. Nothing stands in the way of a job well done. For more on Mo Day and Grasshopper Mowers, visit grasshoppermower.com. Thank you, Grasshopper. And Tanner, that was a lot of uh, big words and concepts to understand about the Roundup case, but I am happy to say that the White House will be making broadband internet more affordable and available to rural America. So I can do some Googling myself to figure out what's exactly going on in that case and how I feel about it. I was just going to make a joke about it. It makes it a lot easier for us to Google and actually understand what we read. Well, Tanner, would you like to send our listeners over to our interview today with Jessica Hansen from a Nebraska farm that was hit by some of the wildfires we've been talking about? You bet. Let me hit the markets real quick and we can jump right into that. Of course, all eyes are on tomorrow's report. Remembering that, uh, tune in here to Ag News Daily so we can give you a summary of what happened. Of course, there's concerns about Brazil's, Brazil's second crop acres, the U.S. new crop production, planting progress obviously may turn into an adjustment for ending stocks. But as we look right now at about open today, our May corn contract was up seven cents to 793. December contract up four cents this morning to 723. Soybeans trading overnight up four and a quarter to 1634 for the May contract. November up five and a tenth, five, yes, up five and a tenth to 14.60. Wheat mixed overnight, uh, hard winter, winter wheat uh, did open higher at 15 cents to 11.68 with the December contract at 11.86. Nothing too exciting in the livestock side of things as uh, we open a little down both live cattle and lean hogs, but further ado, let's jump right into that interview for today. All right, listeners, we are going to catch up with a farm family that was on the front lines of some of that fire devastation that we've been reporting about. Sounds like we should get some good news as we get through this conversation, but wanted to introduce you to Jessica Hansen, her family farms near Wilsonville, Nebraska. That's the southwest corner of the state. Welcome, Jessica. Thank you for having me. And first and foremost, we want to say thank you to all of our firefighters, first responders, EMTs, local farmers, everyone that showed up, the National Guard for for helping us. Uh, our fire could have been a lot worse than what it was, and it's all due and thanks to them. So for our listeners, let's give a little bit of perspective. So tell us a little bit about the farming operation that you're a part of, and then uh, roll right into what you guys were facing. Uh, we farm mostly crops, corn, beans, milo, wheat in southwest Nebraska. Uh, and then we run about 150 pairs um, throughout the year. And so... Um, we Friday, uh, April would be a week and a half ago. Um, 
it was 97 degrees here in Nebraska and that's super hot. And, uh, it was also about 60 to 65 mile an hour wind gust sustained about 50. And we had a fire here in Wilsonville, just a local fire and the firefighters came and got that out right away. We hauled some water, but we noticed a fire coming from the Kansas border, which is road 702. And we wanted to make sure we kept an eye on that. The wind was blown out of the Southwest and within an hour, it had made it to the, to the local highway here, highway 89 that goes through town. What were the actions you and your uh, operation took once that got close to y'all? I know you said y'all were hauling water and things like that. Were you immediately calling firefighters as soon as it got that close? What were y'all's steps of action in that point? Firefighters had actually, the local uh, volunteer firefighters had already actually received the call before they had left the local fire here in town. And we waited about... 20 minutes and another local farmer called and said this is going to be bad my boyfriend who's our farm manager jumped in a tractor with the turbo till went out and they uh tried to get ahead of it at the at the highway here and our hired man drove a semi and hauled the water tanker and then my boyfriend's dad took our old floater and took water to the, a different location, which was actually someone's house. So is that kind of your experience around fires? It seems like the stories that we get to hear is just how communities like that kind of put all hands on deck and use what resources they have to try and put it out. That's kind of the, I guess I would say small town way. No matter who who you are, disagreements, anything else like that in the past, everyone comes together in an emergency. So what does the aftermath look like of that fire? Thankfully, it sounds like your farm is okay, but what type of devastation did that one coming up from Canvas, from Kansas do? We were lucky. I guess lucky is always relative. We have um, some acres that we lost of stubble field, three stubble fields, and um, a pasture and a fence that we hadn't really grazed and we're kind of hoping to actually graze this year because it's still dry, even though this last Monday we got an inch and a half of rain, which is a blessing, still dry here. But most people's houses were saved. As a county, this is our second fire, we lost 40, it was almost 45,000 acres. Wow. What are um, your plans as a county and as your own operation moving forward? I know you you can't plan for it. It's always in the spur of the moment, but are there any things you're doing or things you're putting up to keep those fires from reaching your operation in the future? I think the plan going forward hasn't been decided yet on what to do with the ground. They've gone out and worked the ground and tried to make sure that at least as the winds continue in Nebraska, being potentially one of the windiest springs in Nebraska history, they, they went out and worked it to try to make sure that that topsoil didn't blow away. And then um, 
the pasture, we just wait and and try to see uh, some meetings going forward with entities and as well as the state to provide us options on what we do. So I know that uh, with experience in the past, uh, we've had a couple of local central Iowa groups try to send assistance or, or help out in any way. Do you know if there's a way our listeners could help out or give back? Sometimes they like to send you know, bales for feedstuff and that kind of stuff. Is there a, a local resource that we could provide them or a connection that you're aware of? There's uh, a couple different groups that are helping uh, a lot. If you search road 702 fire, which is again, where this fire started, I can't list them all. There's been so many different organizations to help and people have volunteered. I can, I can get you a list of those at a later time. But that's a good place for us to start off is to, the Google power is, is great. So to search that seven road 702 fire uh, will yeah. help a lot of people get, get at least in the right spot. Yeah. If I find anything searching that road 702 fire, I'll be sure to put that in our show notes if anyone would like to send help to y'all's area. Awesome. That would be great and well appreciated. Well, Jessica, we greatly appreciate you jumping on the show today. Is there anything else uh, that you'd like to share with our listeners now that we have their attention, either about uh, things they can do to help or, or just the experience that you had during the fire? Again, we just want to thank all of the people that helped out. Um, this it could have been a lot worse. And we just want to make sure that everyone knows that fire can come fast and it can be life-changing. Thank you so much, okay. Jessica. It was an honor to have you on today to kind of give a human perspective to this disaster that's kind of sweeping the nation right now. Thank you for having me. Well, listeners, I hope you all enjoyed that interview as much as we did. Although it is a really sad and scary topic right now, it is great to hear from someone really on the front lines of these disasters and to hear their perspective and know how we can provide help to those in need. Yeah, I don't want to say spirits are high, but it is nice to see that uh, there is perspective in place. Everybody's looking to the future, whether it is in preventative measures or how they can start to recover. So. Always great to get the boots on the ground conversation. But for today, Cassidy, I think that's about it. Should we let our listeners go? Let's let them go.